Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Uh, in your house hanging on walls or perhaps even on your body in the form of a tattoo. It certainly hangs on the necks, right, in mis- uh, of rock stars and missionaries and Christians and actually people who are non-believers all over this world. But it, it wasn't a, uh, a symbol that was seen as something that you would want to hang around your neck. Uh, it was the, the, the current day executioner. It was, what, it was the, the electric chair, if you would, uh, in our current day. And, and it was something that was seen as horrific, and nobody would be, you know, would would see that as a symbol of something that was beautiful until Jesus Himself died upon the cross. Now we look at these statements that Jesus said. In fact, last week we looked at these statements together, uh, and we think about like why Jesus would go through all of this. Certainly, it's because of love. In fact, last week, if you were with us, or maybe you weren't, we have them on the screen for you this morning. The first statement that Jesus uttered was when He was being nailed to the cross. And Jesus uttered these words in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, Father, forgive them. You think of all the things that the Son of Man could have said in that moment, and yet it was forgiveness. It was the greatest need that human beings have. And in that statement, we learn that his words tell us God desires to forgive sin. The reason why Christ came was to take away the sins of the world. And it was there that Jesus uttered these words that, again, uh, uh, lets us know that he does desire to forgive sin. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement came after that in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, where the the criminals were hanging next to Jesus, and both of them, the gospel Matthew tells us, were basically railing accusations at Jesus, and if you're the son of God, come down and save yourself and save us. And something happened in in one of the thieves on the cross, he actually began to actually uh, defend Jesus. And he looked at the other guy who was hanging saying, hey, listen, you and I both deserve to die, but Jesus is innocent. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew enough that Jesus was more than a man, that he was innocent, that he had a kingdom and he was Lord. And Jesus looked at that man and says, today I tell you, you shall be with me in paradise. That was the second statement that Jesus made. And it lets us know that that God desires that humanity would be in heaven with him and that there's no person too far for God to reach. When you think about inviting someone to Easter, I had friends of mine in high school that uh, I would have thought like, well, I'll give it to them, but they're probably going to roll it up and, you know, put some fancy tobacco in it, uh, my friends in high school. And, And yet... I. It just blows me away to think about some of the guys that I was friends with, you know, BC days before I came to Christ, how one by one the Lord just started snatching them and picking them out and saving them. And in fact, one guy, I remember uh, seeing him at People's Church on a Sunday night. I'm like, man, he's here to cause trouble. And he gets up and I'm like, oh, here he goes. GL's going to get whacked. And, uh, and he goes down sobbing like a baby. And receive Jesus Christ. You think about that. There's no person beyond God's reach. You think about that thief on the cross. It really tells us about God's grace. That there's no one beyond God's reach. And there's nothing that you and I could do to actually earn that promised, that that gift of eternal life and the promise of heaven. That was the second statement that Jesus made. The first two were really about his deity, who he was as God. The, the, the third we talked about last Sunday was who he is as a human. As he looked at his mother and he looked at John the disciple next to his mother's, she saw him naked and shamed before the world that would crucify the prince of life. And, and Jesus looked at his mother and said, woman, behold your son. 
And he looked at John and said, son, behold your mother. And it says from that day that, that John took Mary into his household and took care of her until she died. And it wasn't because, well, the reason why is because Jesus' own siblings, Mary and Joseph, had children after uh, Jesus was born. Uh, they were non-believers. They didn't believe, in fact, so it was really Jesus saying, man, I care what's going to happen to this woman in the rest of her life. And I love that, that even on the cross, even with the weight of sin upon his shoulders, that Jesus was demonstrating care for the here and now. And his words really do tell us that he cares about our everyday lives. Now, during that moment when Jesus was on the cross, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, which you turned to with me, it tells us something unique that had taken place. In verse 45, and we get the fourth statement from the cross. It says in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from about noon to about 3 p.m. And it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus quoted from the book of Psalms. David was uh, the writer of the majority of the Psalms, and we learn in the New Testament, not only was he this worship leader who wrote all these great songs that children of Israel would sing about God and declare their faith and their trust in him, but he was also a prophet. Not even sure what he was writing <clears throat> as he penned uh, Psalm 22 but it was really a foreshadowing moment. Really, centuries before, the crucifixion was actually created or invented as a means of execution. He really describes the crucifix as if he's right there, pinning it, saying and describing what had happened. And so Jesus, when he utters these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 1 of chapter 22 of Psalm. It was as if he was saying, guys, I've come to fulfill everything that was written about me. And so that it would point to those uh, Israelis that were there, to the leaders, to the Pharisees, to the high priests that were there, that they would actually go, this is the Messiah. It also represented something that had taken place. As darkness entered the land, there was, you know, we look back in, in, in history, there was not a, a, an eclipse that day or during that time period. This was a supernatural event, almost signifying the, the, the very thought of God turning his back on his son. The first three hours on the cross and, and prior to the crucifixion were really about man's wrath. And boy, human beings are horrific. We think about the wrath that human beings can inflict on another person. But it was the wrath of God that Jesus dreaded. It was the wrath that he would experience as the son who would take the sins of the world that he actually was, was uh, repelling from in the garden when he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That Psalm 22, it really gives detailed descriptions of the crucifixion. And Jesus came to fulfill everything that was written about him as if saying, guys, it's me. Now Jesus agonized about that moment where the father would abandon him or he would feel separation. Why would he feel that separation? Because sin was being placed on Jesus in that moment. And on, those, that, on the cross, those three hours, all of God's wrath, the sin that had to be paid for, the justice for humanity's rebellion because we could not keep the righteous standards of God's law. It was there in the Garden of Eden when it all began, right? Where Adam and Eve were given one command. 
You can eat of every tree of all, you know, that you see around you. Mangoes. Aren't mangoes awesome? I'm allergic to them now. I have no idea why God would curse me like that. I love them. I'm like, but I want to eat them. Like, well, you could die. Okay. I'll take my chances, Dr. Gonzalez. My doctor. Of all the trees you can eat, you can't eat of this one. You can put a swing in it. You can climb it. You could carve like Adam plus Eve, like you're the only woman for me, Eve. Imagine how that went on date night. Like, yeah, I, I guess I am. You're right, Adam. How romantic. But you can't eat because the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And Eve partook of that fruit, and Adam was there, and Adam partook of that fruit, and sin entered the world at that moment. And death and every single thing that you and I experience that is bad and wrong and evil, it, it stems from that very decision. And through, the, uh, you know, through humanity, giving birth to humanity, you and I, we have received that sin nature, if you would, through just being born. Every one of us is born a sinner. Every one of us is born separated from God. And Jesus had to be separated from the Father if he was going to actually redeem us who were separated from the Father. There is none righteous, Paul says, no, not one. The cup that Jesus prayed the Father would take away for the judgment of sin, he had to drink of that cup in this moment. And it was as if he committed all of those sins. Every sin that you and I know in this world, every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that's ever been committed against you, every sin that's ever been done or will be done in this world, Jesus himself suffered as if he had committed those very sins. Think about that love. The wrath of man was horrible, but the wrath of God is what was poured out on Jesus. God is holy God is just. Sin and rebellion has consequences. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And all of us were born dead in sin. And the great exchange was taking place in that moment. As God took all of our sin, placed it on Jesus, so that he might take all the righteousness of Jesus and deposit it into the account of your life and my life simply by believing. We read in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.21, it talks about this great exchange. Paul writes, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isaiah, centuries earlier, wrote about this very moment as well. It's, it's the Isaiah 53. It's an incredible chapter to read. As you read through it, you go, Wow, this is mind-blowing that God would describe in, you know, in sequence what would happen to Jesus and what he would do on the cross. Even the very last verse of that chapter, uh, speaking of the first statement that he'll be, make intercessions for sinners and rebels. Here's what Isaiah writes in chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Translation, you and I have lived the life that we want to live apart from God. He describes us as sheep and human beings as sheep, and we've just done whatever we want to do in life. And notice what God says in the last verse. 
Yet the Lord has laid upon him the sins of us all. God accepted his sacrifice as a payment for the sins of the world. You think about what Jesus uttered earlier uh, the day before when he said the words in the Gospel of John, there is no greater love than this that one should lay their lives down for their friends. And what incredible picture it was when Jesus laid his life down for us. His words reveal his love for us, that he would take away our sins so that he would be forsaken so that you and I could be accepted. That was the fourth statement that Jesus made at the ninth hour about 3 p.m. The next one comes in the Gospel of John. So you want to make a right-hand turn to the Gospel of John. It says this in, in verse 28, the fifth statement. It says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. The fifth statement is, I thirst. Again, fulfillment of Psalm 69, also in Psalm 22, verse 15. David writing of the suffering Messiah on the cross, he says, My strength is dried up like a sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. You think about all the loss of fluid that Jesus experienced. You know, last week we touched on the fact that, you know, the crucifixion was, was pretty horrific. Uh, the, the Roman soldiers would actually take what they call the flagellum, which was, you know, it had a wooden handle and it had leather strips and inside that, that leather strips, they would embed uh, metal or bone, something sharp, so that when they would, you know, lay that, that criminal's back open and they would, you know, strip him bare and they would just begin to beat on him, that literally chunks of flesh would be removed. Some medical doctors and scientists have studied the crucifixion and other crucifixions and said that you literally could have put your hands on his back and you could have felt his vital organs. Can you imagine the blood loss? You imagine the fluid loss hanging there uh, out on the cross? There is no, you know, uh, uh, you know, those little packs that you have, little water, you know, to make it, you know, last a little longer. He was completely parched. It says, he says these words, I thirst to fulfill scripture. He was really suffering physically. Jesus lived, gang, a life that you and I live as human beings. He, he experienced life as we know it. He did get physically thirsty. And yet we see in scripture, thirst actually is a metaphor for something that you and I also feel internally. At the soul level. At, by the way, how many, like you ever just like, oh my gosh, I'm dying of thirst. Right? Did anyone grow up playing soccer in the Fresno or Clovis community? Like soccer's like, hey, let's start when it's like Gehenna outside, you know, 115, air quality's like, you know, purple haze, you know what I mean? L listen, I grew up in the 70s playing soccer. They didn't have like some superintendent saying, hey, there's a light breeze outside, better shut down all the practices. At Fresno Unified, it was like a nuclear holocaust, no big deal. You guys get out there and play, right? We've got games to play. You'd just be out there running and running, and then someone knucklehead would screw the whole thing up for us, and they're like, all right, take another lap. You're just like, oh, man, I hope you break your collarbone this year. It's like dying of thirst. Do you know that feeling internally also? Where we mistake what we're really craving we say, man, I'm just so thirsty for my soul to be satisfied. 
Some commentators and scholars believe that Jesus literally felt for the first time that soul-level thirst that you and I have known from birth. I thirst. And Jesus thirsted so that you and I could actually be fulfilled. As he was separate from the Father, he felt the cravings perhaps that you and I feel for longing for relationship ultimately that is God. We feel it. We crave things. We are never satisfied. We never have enough. And Jesus Christ, when he, he uttered those words, I thirst, it was as if he would, would thirst so that you and I never would have to for the rest of our lives. We were made for God. You were made for God. If you're wondering why life doesn't seem like it's all working out, it's because you're running away from the one who actually has life eternal to give to you and soul satisfaction. Even Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, uh, he said to her, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. She said, sir, let me get this water, right? It wasn't physical water. It was relationship with God. He was describing what it, what it means to actually tap in where the Holy Spirit in your life is like a gushing water source, fountain of life that just constantly satisfies you. And that's exactly what Jesus came to give us. It was St. Augustine who said these words, For thyself thou hast made us, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We live in a world that tells you and I pursue pleasure, money, power, but it never is enough. Back in the 70s and 80s, you know, when people used to put stickers on the back of their cars, there was uh, stickers, well, if you were super cool, man, you had like the KKDJ sticker. Did anyone have one of those? Am I dating myself here? You're like, it was like where they played real music, you know what I mean, rock and roll. And, uh, and if I listened to anything else, my three older brothers would just beat me up. They're like, what is this in excess? I'm like, it's a cool new bad. You know, uh, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> if it wasn't like Boston or, you know what I mean, ACDC or something like that, then it was like trouble. And uh, sticker. There was this one sticker that said, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Now, no show of hands. And he's like, oh, man, that's totally living, man. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what we really need to pursue and chase after. They had to put another one that says, like, rehab, emptiness, brokenness. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right below that one. Because that's exactly what it's going to bring in your life. Jesus said these words. Man. He said, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's the Lord that we're actually chasing after it's a close relationship with him that you're actually really longing for and even as a follower of christ even as a believer you and i can fall into the same category that that god called out the children of israel for and jeremiah said you you've committed two evils my people committed two evils one they've forsaken me the fountain of living waters jeremiah says in chapter 2 verse 13 and you have hewn out for yourself cisterns You've made yourself your own uh, hydro flasks, if you would, but they have holes in them. You're forsaking me. I'm the living water. I'm what you're chasing after. I'm what you need at the soul level. And you're making yourself these little cups to try to hold something in it, and it just drains out. 
And Christians can fall in that same category. You start chasing after stuff. David writes in Psalm 42 a perfect description. It was as if, you know, David, man, he had time to just spend with God out in nature. And, he, and, and, and you know, he was the, 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 the keeper of the sheep for his family, being the youngest son. He had to do all the dirty work. But it was those moments that he was out in nature where he would actually discover so much about God. You read through Psalm 19 and it is, the heavens declare the glory of God. How jacked up would David be if he had an iPhone? You know what I mean? Have you ever been out to like some beautiful restaurant and there's you know, nature everywhere and you know, it's an outdoor place and everybody's right there just going like this. We ought to just burn these and throw them away. Go back to writing letters. Because I think we miss out on so much. And there David was. I'm just kidding. Uh, can you imagine not having your phone? Like, who are you going to envy if you don't have Instagram in your life? You know what I mean? It was one of those days that David just looked out and he saw this, perhaps, as the, it started heating up. You know, and, and springtime had arrived. And there's this deer that he just sees, like, running for life to get to the water brooks. And he looked at this deer that was so parched and didn't care if there's any, you know, predators around. He just went for that water brook and he's like, aha, that's, that's exactly how I feel at the soul level. When he wrote Psalm 42, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Jesus' words, I thirst, it revealed to us he left heaven to become a man so that you and I would never have to thirst anymore at the soul level. Are you parched today? You feel like you're all dried up with the same description of Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22? It's because you're forsaking the fountain of living waters and you're chasing after the stuff of this life and this world that never will satisfy your life. It'll never satisfy don't forsake the fountain of living waters. Man, chase after Jesus. Be like that dear, Lord, I long for you. You can even pray a prayer. You know what's so great about God? He already knows what you lie about in your prayers. Lord, I long for you. You know what? Let me back up. I want to long for you, Lord. As a deer is panting after the streams of water. So, Lord, I want to long for you like that. Man, he's got what you and I are looking for. The sixth one comes in John's gospel as well, the sixth statement. And I think that Jesus asked for some water because he's about to make a declaration and he's going to make it loud. The others perhaps were a whisper because he was so parched and thirsty, and yet he took a drink of water because this next one, boy, there, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of words that change lives, right? Like, um, you're, you're safe, you know what I mean? And you're like, yay, we won the World Series. Good for you. Have an orange slice. Words like, yes, when you ask somebody to marry you, like, whew, well, that's a life changer. And no <laughs> can also be a life changer as well, for the good or the bad. But this last statement, or the sixth statement, as he got some, uh, his, his mouth quenched so he could actually speak out, it's in John 19, verse 30. Verse 30 says, When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. His hour 
was for this moment, to become the ransom for us, to do the work of redemption for humanity. This was not a cry of defeat. Do not think of Jesus saying, it is finished. It was a cry of victory, that it was all accomplished for humanity. All the work the Father had done for him, or uh, given to him to do, he had accomplished it. It was all finished. Literally, this word finished means this, made an end of, paid, performed, and accomplished. You think about what was ended, our sin and guilt. What was paid, the price of redemption. What was performed was the righteous requirements of the law. And what was accomplished was salvation for humankind is now available. Paul writes in in, in Colossians 2, he says that Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The, the record against the charges against us is you and I are guilty. We've all broken God's commands. When someone asks you, you know, if you're talking to someone about Jesus and like, hey, you know, have you, uh, you know, spending time examining like who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and where are you at with God and stuff like that. And they, they say things like, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. You go like, well, how are you doing so far with that? Like Ten Commandments. What is one of the commandments? Well, you know, thou shalt not murder. Oh, that's interesting. Do you ever kill anybody? No. Well, Jesus tells us that it's not just the letter of the law, but the spirit behind the law. Have you ever hated someone in your heart? Well, yeah, everybody hates somebody. Oh, eh, wrong answer. You know what that means? You've broken God's commands. You're probably a liar too, right? And you've probably broken all ten commands. Have you, have you ever put anyone above God? Have you ever coveted your neighbor's stuff? Have you ever, like, have you ever gotten a brand new, uh, like, Apple product for Christmas? Has that ever happened to you? Only to watch uh, in horror in January that dude coming out with the same outfit saying, like, we invented something new. And you're just like, oh, dang, are you kidding me? I'm stuck with this contract for 36 months? <laughs> oh, they get you, don't they? I don't, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to lie, sometimes I covet some cool like Apple Watches, but I'm like, hey, you know what? My Timex is totally fine. It's actually not even a Timex. This is a Seiko. It doesn't take a licking and keep on ticking. It's broken, actually. It doesn't keep time well. It is finished. The prophecy is all accomplished. We're guilty. We've broken God's commands. The law reveals our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And now it was done. The work was over. And now what you need to do is believe. He offers life to all who would come to him. There's no work that you can add to the work of Jesus. When he said it is finished, salvation now comes, and it always came, by grace and not works. If you're saved today, it's because of God's grace. It's not because you're good. It's not because you tried harder. It's not because you've offered to God something. That brings relief to us. I read a statement that Pastor Chuck Smith, the SoCal pastor who's now with the Lord, he said this about this particular statement Jesus made. It is finished. He said, it brings relief from my failures and my struggles to be good. You know what you can do this morning? Just rest. God, I thank you that when you said it was finished, it was. That there's nothing that I can do to earn your love, to earn your favor, We don't understand that because human beings, we have conditional love for one another. But God has this this compassion and this unconditional love for you and I that he went to the cross and he uttered those words, it is finished. 
when you are reminded of your failures and all your shortcomings and all of your empty promises that you give to God that I also give to God. It's going to be a good week, Lord. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do this. Right? I'm going to put you first. And then you stumble and you fall and you mess up. And you just almost feel like, gosh, man, God's just got to be so sick of me asking him to forgive me. So sick of me coming to him with my brokenness and stupidity over and over. Remind yourself what Jesus uttered. Your sin is paid for. It's all been accomplished. It's done. Now you just believe. And you rest in what God has done. His word tells us that the work on the cross was complete. He totally and completely satisfied God's righteous requirements. And he paid our debt of sin that we owed. The last statement we find, it's in Luke's gospel, chapter 23. I'll turn there. But if you want, it's just like one book over. Or if you have a cool iPhone watch to say, hey, Siri, can you take me to, John, to uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 23? Nobody thinks you're cool, by the way. I'm probably going to get one, and I'll be like, over going, oh, yeah, look at that. I just got another email. I would be so messed up and so distracted, as you already could be praying for me. You're like, could it be worse? My wife's like, yes, it can. You don't even know. Here it is. It was now, verse 44, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed... And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here's a seventh statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The work was over. All was accomplished. His soul was made an offering for sin. That's what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53 of his book. Jesus gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus uttered these words in the Gospel of John. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down, and when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what the Father has commanded. Those who know the Lord may die in the same manner, confident and assured. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Whenever that day comes for you, when it's like all over, And you know like your final breath is coming. As a Christian, as a person who's believed and had faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, you literally can utter those same kinds of words. Stephen did. Lord, receive my spirit before he took his last breath. Jesus died. And when he said those words, it tells us in Luke's gospel that, and history records, that in the temple there was a curtain that was torn from the very top to the bottom. Now, if you study through the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament, you'll notice that, that in the temple there was this curtain that was separating the, the, the holy place from the holy of holies. Then it was this place where they had the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant held the Ten Commandments. And once a year, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would go in and he would not only give a sacrifice for his sins personally, but for the sins of the nation of Israel. And that was a place, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you don't mess with God's stuff, right? Someone in history has actually said that the high priest, they would tie a rope around his foot in case he went in there with wrong motivations and he died. You going to go get him? No, I ain't getting him. (laughs) Just start pulling him out. Because everyone understood God's presence is holy. He's holy. We're sinful. 
We have no ability to connect with him. They would have to bring a sacrifice. And those sacrifices all pointed to an ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sins of the world. And when he died, God gave us a symbol saying, hey, my presence is no longer off limits to sinners like you. I've made a way for human beings to now be in contact with a holy God. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. And it was significant that now we have this opportunity now to have a a relationship with God, to enter into God's presence. His words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His words tell us that access now has been granted to God through him. That blows me away. In all of our shortcomings, all of our sins, all of our good intentions that never fully work out, he loves me. He loves you. And he still longs for you to draw near to him and experience that life change of connection and knowledge of God and fellowship with God so that you would have a soul that is satisfied all the days of your journey on this earth. The work of redemption is complete. We're going to sing a song this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Rest in him, my friends. When Jesus hung and bled on the cross, it was God saying to you and to the rest of this world, I love you. Died for you. When we have moments of clarity like this, when you just get down to like, what's the basis of Christianity? It's it's God became a man so that he could live a life none of us could live, ultimately to lay his life down for you, my friends, so that you could not live your life parched, chasing after everything else, but you could actually finally have satisfaction. You could have the hope of heaven. When you get it down to that, it's like, man, what else matters in life? Nothing, really. Nothing else matters in life. You know what matters? is knowing God, knowing Him well, pursuing Him. Christian, your walk with God is the highest priority you could ever have. Can I ask you, is there anything hindering it right now? Do you have any debris that sort of cluttered the path that you're on with the Lord? You know, it's so great in moments like this, we say, God, I need to remove this, and I need to get rid of that. I need to break off that fellowship or that relationship that's bringing me down, and I need to get back on track with you because there is nothing more important. Putting other things in the priority, man, it's all Jesus. It's all him. He calls you and I to follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He's telling us that real life is experienced when you and I die to things, die to our flesh, die to our pride, die to anything and everything that doesn't bring glory to Jesus. There's an old hymn, uh, that it, when I survey the wondrous cross, there's a, there's a phrase in that, in that hymn where the writer pins this, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I can't think of a better pursuit that you and I should be on in life but to know him, to put him first, to know Jesus, to instruct our kids in the ways of the Lord and say, hey man, I don't care, or woman, I don't care what you become in life. I, I, you know, chase after all your dreams. But can I just tell you, if you don't put Jesus first, none of those dreams you accomplish will ever satisfy your life. Knowing God, knowing him personally. You know what else matters when we come down to moments like this? Is who's in our life that doesn't know Jesus right now? Who are you praying for? Who are you inviting to join us at one of our services next weekend? 
or the weekend after, or the weekend after that. I can't think of any other cause that you and I would live for other than to be a missionary for the kingdom of God saying, I can't take any of this stuff. Well, you can't take your Apple Watch with you to heaven. Shocker. You know what you can take? Your, your walk with God. You could take people. Who do you want to see with you by your side, worshiping the King of Kings for all eternity? You think, man, I, I can't imagine them not having this life. Pray for them this morning. Reach out to them this week. Invite them to be a part of our service. And maybe, maybe it's you this morning. Maybe as we sit here this morning, as we sing God's word, and as we read God's word, and you see, you see these statements that Jesus made from the cross, and you realize, hey, that's, that's about me. God is after my heart. He's after my life. It's true. He loves you today. But he will not force his way into your life. There's an old picture you may have seen of Jesus outside of a house, knocking on the door of that house. And it's based on a passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open that door, I will come in and dine with him and they with me. And it was a, a, a picture, a mental picture of relationship. But on that painting, you'll notice that there's no handle on the outside. You've got to open it from within. You've got to actually decide to say, God, I'm going to open up the door of my heart. I want to let you in to be a part of my life. How's that happen? Well, you recognize that you're a sinner. You realize that, boy, you have broken God's commands too. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. You recognize that Jesus died for you. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross as we've been hammering away this morning. You need to repent of your sin. It means that you've been going in a direction away from God and now you're going to turn back to God and you need to receive Jesus into your life. Becoming a Christian isn't just believing a creed. It's really having Christ himself come take up residence in our lives. And that's what he does when a person believes. Maybe that's you this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If today's a day that you're ready to open up your heart, man, we'll tell God together right where you're sitting and we'll ask him to do that work of salvation in your heart. Let's pray together now. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love, God. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the cross and what you did for us on the cross. We thank you that we got to look through these statements that you made from the cross. God, they, they embody the whole gospel and all that you've done for this world and why you did it for this world, why you did it for us. Lord, my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, I pray that we would all rest in you. Lord, if we feel, feel like we're still a hamster on a wheel trying to impress you with church attendance, trying to impress you with Bible reading, Lord, trying to impress you, Lord, there's nothing we can do to earn your love or salvation. It's a free gift, God. All a sinner can do is believe. And I'm grateful for that, Lord. I, too, uh, am grateful that this morning I don't have to stress out. I don't have to continue to struggle. I can rest in you today, what you did on the cross. Lord, I also pray for those who are with us. There might be one person here today that needs you, Jesus, that needs salvation. Right now, God, speak to their heart, God. Show them your incredible love for them, and God, their desperate need for you. And listen, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, you're ready to surrender your heart to him, you want salvation, you want forgiveness, you want to begin a relationship with him today that happens by faith, I want to lead you in prayer. And I want you to take a step right now. I want you to lift your hand. I want you to hold it up high in place. If that's you this morning, let's tell God together right where you're sitting that you want him in your life. Anybody here this morning? 
You're ready to surrender your life to Him. And He loves each and every one of you. And everybody that's around you. If that's you though, today you're ready to surrender to Him. I want you to lift your hand. And let's pray together this morning. Anybody here today? Anybody here in this moment? You're ready to surrender your life. And He loves you. Man, I wouldn't let this moment pass me by. God bless you. And He loves you today. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to surrender your heart to the Lord? You lift your hand as well. Listen, those that just raise their hands and acknowledge that they want Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. And pray it in your heart. And ask God to do that work of salvation in your life. Pray with me now. Dear Lord Jesus, today I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Today I choose to trust in you and to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, guide my life and help me to do your will from this day forward. Thank you for your love and thank you for the gift of eternal life. It's in your name that I pray.